Welcome to The Laws of Style, featuring conversations on creativity, fashion, and the law from the leading edge of our economy and culture. Hosted by noted fashion lawyer, Douglas Hand. Hello, and welcome to the podcast, The Laws of Style. Downloading to you from the offices of HBA, high above Bryant Park, in the Garment District of New York City. I'm your host, Douglas Hand, fashion lawyer and fashion law professor, and I am joined today by client and friend Candice Cuoco, who is a women's wear designer. Candice, thanks for joining us today. Really excited to be here. <laughs> so you are in from the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, how was your trip? Um, it was hell, but no, I'm kidding. It was it was really good. I'm, I was excited to, to be here. Yeah. yeah. And you are here, well, you brought your daughter, I so you're, you're doing a little sightseeing, mm-hmm. but are you also doing any work while you're here? Yeah, it's, you know, as um, being your own boss and entrepreneur and being in fashion, it's there's always work, right. no matter where you are. Well, let's get into it and start maybe more towards the beginning. Um, the good you know, stuff. The good stuff, exactly. Um, you, you have a very interesting story, um, a lot of which, you know, on Project Runway that mm-hmm. you, uh, you've been on twice, two different types of episodes, and we'll Yay. get into that. Yeah. <laughs> um, You've opened up about your childhood and some of the challenges that you faced um, yeah. growing up in Northern California. Um, you know, just without asking anything specifically, can you lay those out and, and you know, how they led you to be the creative person that you are today? Yeah, I always like to say that I had a very um, colorful upbringing. I think that's like a great way of putting it. And yeah, I did open, it, open up about it on Project Runway. Um, I wish they would have continued on with the message so I mean well, let's this fill is in a, the blanks this yeah. is a great opportunity exactly um I was uh born in Hayward raised in Oakland but all around the Bay Area I call myself a Bay baby okay um and you know on Project Runway I vetted that both of my parents were um drug addicts mm-hmm. um my mom was an IV drug user my dad in and out of jail um raised around um you know biker world um okay very colorful upbringing were they were they dealing drugs as well or was it just using and i think my dad dad had his uh his heyday he definitely (laughs) um it's a morbid family joke but i guess that uh, i used to carry um uh you know certain drugs in my teddy bear when I was younger so it was just a different lifestyle and our our family vacations consisted of going up to the snow in Nevada to like the Mustang Ranch which is like a whorehouse you know so it was like this very um it was different but to me it was normal like that was normal and Mm -hmm. my parents sure they had um an addiction but they were badasses and I mean it in the sense that they were strong in what they believed in and they always let me know uh, that they loved me and I think at the end of the day knowing that you're loved and that no matter what you do in this world whether my mom used to say I don't care if you're a doctor or a prostitute you're gonna be the best one there is which is probably not the best advice I probably would say give your kids you know but like it worked for me because in it, the, something set in and it ingrained in me like no matter who I am whether I'm a complete fuck up part of my language or if I'm just you know in the eyes of the world this huge success 
they will always have my back and I will always be loved. And it's not the you can talk to me kind of thing. It's just like really like I could be at rock bottom and they would just consider me the world and they did. So yeah, it was hard, but I think that great people don't always need to have uh, great upbringings and they don't always have to have um, great houses and great cars. I don't think that makes a, a great person. And I think it's actually the opposite, you know, like not saying that this was easier glorified, but, um, it helped me pre- appreciate the bottom. Okay. And when you know what the bottom is, you really it's kind of like finding faith or like finding your faith in yourself or God or religion or something. You, you only can really look up from there. Well, and things are really real, right? They because are. Because you're at a place where you can't go below. Anywhere else. There's nowhere else to go but up. Being in a situation where you're really back to the wall, it mm-hmm. must really cast in great relief what you want to do with your life yeah. and also perhaps put you in a mindset where you feel like risking it all isn't risking that much. No. And so you can take chances that other people maybe don't. I mean, yeah, because um, everyone says like it's so hard to like start fashion and like to get into it and like, you know, start creating. And because I have I don't have the money to do this and I don't have the time. And it's like, well, I had I had nothing like I literally like had nothing raised on welfare. Um, You know, we'd have bologna sandwiches sometimes. It was it was interesting. But at the same time, when like I said, like, you know what it's like to be hungry. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of start the only way to get through it is to start appreciating that feeling, yeah. like really starting to love the hunger. And when you love that hunger, you want it for the rest of your life. So I mean, like liter- literally, figuratively, um, emotionally. So it just bred a natural creative, I think, in my point of view. I w- I'm just like always starving for more because of not in fear of not having anything because I've been there, I've settled in it. <laughs> but it's just a feeling that I'm very comfortable and proud of Mm -hmm. and it's just like you you dive in and you get into the kind of like the depths of things and like that's what life was for me it wasn't fun it was very deep and emotional and it was like it was hard and sometimes that often I think creates like the most beautiful stories it's like the the harder ones and those are the people I kind of love and appreciate the most and it didn't drive you to maybe more prototypically career-oriented, financially successful paths that would involve (laughs) hard work, like becoming a physician or Um, a lawyer or or something like that. In in your case, or or, or tell me, I mean, tell tell me if that was part of your mindset as you were struggling, I'm going to make something of myself. And before you had settled on it being something career oriented, mm-hmm. not settled, but but reached for that. Yeah. Were there thoughts in your mind that I'm going to, you know, do something that traditionally has a high income attached to it? No, I actually uh, my goal as a as a, a little girl was to my mom always told me that I, you know, she always told my sister and I um, we have different dads. My dad's Italian. Her dad's black. We raised under the same roof same mom um thick as thieves she's the reason why i got into fashion we can get into that later um 
She always told us you're going to be the ones to break the mold. Like there's addiction throughout the whole entire family and you're not going to do drugs and you're going to be something. You're going to be something and you're going to do it. And my dad would tell me the same thing. You're going to do something and you're going to do it really, really well. And so it wasn't like you have to grow up and be a doctor or you're going to be this, you're going to be that. It's just something that makes you happy. So that already was, which is not, I guess, common that parents tell their kids, you know. Um, And again, we didn't really have... We didn't have money. It was just, um, what am I going to do, I don't know, to feed my soul? But, you know, you don't really find that out until later in life. But, um, no, when I was younger, what I wanted to do was get a job mm-hmm. that could uh, afford me an apartment that had uh, white fl- furniture because it was clean, a black cat, and a black Toyota Corolla. And enough food that I wouldn't be hungry. And that was, those were my goals not to get married, not to have this like grand career, you know, I'm just like, and I look back and I'm like, well, I've surpassed that. So good job, you know? Um, but no, I never at the time before I had my daughter, I didn't have a plan for life. Nobody went to work. Like my mm-hmm. mom didn't, you know, they didn't do the nine to five. Well, how did the creative impulse lead to an education focused on design and weave your sister into it? I mean, how, how is she the one responsible for you making the choice to become a fashion designer? Um, so I had my daughter when I was 17, uh, which thank God, because she gave me purpose. Like as soon as she came out, I then appreciated life. Mm-hmm. Like the minute I'll yeah. probably cry. Um, the, the, like the instant. And I wish that, you know, I wish that feeling on everyone, but she completely changed me. I was this angry, um, bitter, mean, um, person. And I held on to everything. And I think I needed to at that time. I think life needs certain, it demands certain things from you to survive Mm -hmm. or get through that period in your life. And at that time it was that baggage, that emotional baggage. And, you know, I was very proud of it and I held it very well and it was very strong to me. Um, and then I had her and I turned into this like little mush bucket and it demanded a different side to me. And I knew when she came out that I needed to make money because that's a thing in life. You know, um, I do admire the emotional value in people, but (laughs) I was 17 graduating high school. I needed to make money. So I thought I wanted to become a nurse because I figured they made money, not because that's what I wanted to be and not it's, it sounds Ridiculous well, you now. like white outfits. Yeah. Basic colors, white, red, black. I do. I that. do. Maybe, Maybe I could have, you know, I saw like, I didn't even know that they wore, you know, like the, um, the, the what are they called? Nurse scrubs. Right. Like the outfits. I wasn't even aware. I just thought like, this is going to, you know, feed my child. Right. And I got through a couple years of school and um, I like volunteered and like first day on the volunteer job I was like this is not for me and I quit Mm -hmm. and I went through every odd and end job worked for Ross and at the time um I was working at Home Depot okay and I was running a few departments I was a department supervisor okay (laughs) did you ever drive a forklift or anything like that? oh yeah forklift um it was the Oakland Home Depot met a lot of really beautiful like grounded people there Mm -hmm. that I still love and admire today Um, but I was real depressed. I was so unhappy and I was watching my daughter watch me be depressed and Mm -hmm. she became this melancholy 
soul just like I was. Mm -hmm. And I thought, this is not what I want her to see a woman as. I don't want her to, you know, have to hide her emotions and harden herself. So, Mm -hmm. um, I'd like to say I quit because I had that courage, but I didn't. I got fired. (laughs) So they fired me. And I'm sitting on, you know, my sister's couch because I had to move in with her. I had no money. And off of 35th, like in the middle of the hood, on welfare, and I'm bawling. And she's like, why are you crying? Because I got fired and I have like nothing. And she was like, okay, that's a great thing. You have nothing, so there's nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. And she goes, I go, I don't know what I need to do with my life. Like, what am I going to do? And she goes, well, why don't you go to school to make shit? And I'm like... <laughs> You know, like, crying, like, you mean, like, design, like, clothes, like, a a fashion designer, Tanea? My sister's name is Tanea. And she goes, yeah, like, you stole my curtains last week, and, like, you wore them as, like, you know, a mini skirt for your birthday the other week. Like, you go to school to make shit. And I'm like, "Mm, they don't really make any money. And, like, you know, I sound like someone's, like, unsupportive mother. Right. You know, like, no, it's not a career. give me the year. I couldn't tell you the year. I could tell you that I was 20. Okay. I was 20, 21. All right. So, 2031, 10 years ago. Okay. So, so (laughs) mid aughts. All right. So, it's, it's a, it's a a hot minute ago. Um, and I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. And she was like, listen, she is, how much money do you have? And I have, she's like, nothing. I have nothing. I tell her okay, great, you've already created a few things and you don't, like, no one's ever showed you. You're creative. That's the only time that you're happy is when you're literally creating something. And so that was very profound of her, you know? Like, no one had ever really, I mean, my mom, my dad did, but I just, it was a moment. And she goes, so, you know, like, if one thing we know how to do is we know how to figure out how to do it without nothing. And I'm like, I don't even know where to start. So she sat me in front of the computer. We actually had could afford the internet at the time. Um, and I started looking for schools. And I mean... Lo and behold, there was a local one. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I enrolled into um, the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising. Mm-hmm. Um, in San Francisco. In San Francisco. Mm-hmm. A bay and, baby. And was that a move, or did you commute to class there? No, I'd have to commute. We have uh, we have BART there. It's like yeah, the, the subway. Oh, yeah, have you? I have. Was yeah. it great? <laughs> Never a dull moment it in the wasn't, bay. It wasn't the New York City sub- <laughs> subway system. Um, no, no. BART's nice and clean and fast. And it depends I, on the car that you're riding in. You know, I, it's yes. never a dull moment, you know? Right. You could get a show one day, a show the next day. Yeah, um, well, it happens in the city, too. But, yeah, um, yeah. Okay, so so you started there, and was that an awakening for you? I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I've had, I, I have a three-year-old right mm-hmm. now, and, yeah. and, you know, a son who was three, and yeah. I know what that's like, you know, even with help. So here you are, single mom, Well, with a three-year-old. I had actually just had my son, okay. and then I decided to enroll in college again. And so, so now kids. I've got a baby, right? A, a, another baby, so five-year-old, uh, an infant, and I'm starting college again. So wow. I would say that I was scared. I'm older than everyone else. Mm-hmm. You know, you feel more. You feel more poor. You're poor. You think you're poor, and you're like 
at the time I didn't realize like my soul wasn't poor. Mm-hmm. That wasn't. And that's what kind of kept me through. But you know, you feel it, you get in there and you're intimidated, but coming from where I come from, you wipe that shit off right away, you know? So you hold face and, um, I was happy. So yeah, I was struggling, but I had more than I had ever had in my whole entire life at that moment. It was something for me that fed my soul. Mm-hmm. Yes, eventually my pocket, but it started with the inside. And I think we all have to start with that work first. Um, so it was huge and I didn't know it at the time I was changing. I always thought I had to be this other kind of person, very ha- like pretend to be happy. You always have to be happy, happy, happy. And I don't think that that's the only emotional spectrum for women, mm-hmm. I think we feel many things. We're not just one thing. We're not just angry or happy. We're all of them, you know? Could be a blessing and a curse. <laughs> I love them both, though. <laughs> um, and I think that that's uh, really beautiful. And I started to discover that at FITM. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was young, but mm-hmm. it was a, a, monu- a monumental moment at the time. And I don't think I realized it, but I started to find my aesthetic. Okay. We call it as like And how did those early life experiences and those struggles in inform that aesthetic? Um, there was a instructor at the time and I was I'd always fought my past, you know. I didn't want to lay any right to it or give it any um, credit for who I was. Like I will I refuse to be um, a statistic. So I never ever gave it any mind. Like never talked about anything and he sat me down his name is Julius Lumson and he says why are you fighting it? Like embrace it and let that be your story Mm -hmm. and like, let that be your picture. Let that be your aesthetic. And like, it was just, he goes, stop fighting it because it's who you are and who you are is really beautiful. And the day that you realize that, um, it's going to be very special for you and it's going to be very different compared to everyone else. I mean, I don't know where, like I had never heard anything like that before. Nobody had ever spoken to me like that's, that before. that's life coach stuff not mm-hmm. professor stuff so no yeah kudos he, to to julius yeah. thanks yeah. julius <laughs> <laughs> um and so i did and i started embracing that side and it had a lot you know i love the color black um i think it's very mysterious mm-hmm. i think it's harder to design in black because it's just one blank canvas so you have to put more thought into it the lines and the details it's more subtle you have to look into it there's more depth Mm -hmm. Uh, the textures yeah the textures are so important Um, the structure of whatever fabrics that you're using they all tell very subtle stories Um, Mm -hmm. and it has a lot to do with my past and like I dwelled in that darker place Mm -hmm. and as I've gone on as a creative it's evolved but at that time that I was learning and creating, I learned that that was uh, my creative process Mm -hmm. is that I heal through um, moments and times in my life. So my collections are based off of emotions and not just one thing. It's the emotional story that a woman is having at one point in time in her life. It could be, you know, childbirth, a heartbreak, like things that are very um, relatable, you know, like, Mm So many people are chasing like this ideal happiness, but we can all relate to um, pain and <laughs> hurt, but also through um, really beautiful things, you know, like the, when you're in love with someone, you have both sides. Right, right. So you also use a lot of leather 
um, which is looks great in black, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And and conveys a lot of texture, changes over time. It does. Um, I relate it to women. Okay. Well, leather. how? Unpack that for me. Um, I found out early on also, I mean, it's just a whole new world opened up at Fitum, um, that my my love language, the things that I uh, related to, and like, you know, the things that talk, spoke back to me, it was all just leather, like very structured fabric. Um, and it's because it reminded me of women and the fact that I've watched so many women um, go through so much and just be torn apart and like test tested. And I think that they're, they're just so much more beautiful because of it. With leather, you can treat it like hell mm-hmm. and it often looks more beautiful after it's aged mm-hmm. and when it's been put through hell and back. You The smell of it is really beautiful. Um, the body and the the shape that it it takes uh, after you wear it over time, and that all reminds me um, of women. You know, like yeah. our smell, our curves, and we're often, I think, more beautiful. And I don't mean just the outside, but the inside when we've been put through hell and back. I think we carry a different um, air to us when we've been put through just a little. Yeah. Well, well said. Um, there are, are some critics who've compared a lot of your designs to to goth. Yeah. Or is that does that inspire you? Is that is that a compliment? Is that off the mark? Are was, you yourself a goth? You know, I mean, do you yeah. have musical interests that lean that way? No, okay. I mean, I ACDC. I mean, I listen to everything from like I don't know Beethoven to. Sure, there's Pantera in there, but ACDC, <laughs> Leonard Skinner, my favorite, absolute favorite, like there's not a song I would skip is Florence and the Machine. And I think okay. that could represent my aesthetic. Okay. Um, I don't get offended when they say I'm goth. I see it, but, and I do admire the darker side um, of things, but with the dark, there's also a romantic side to my designs. So it's like very dark and romantic. There's right. depth to it. And that can be very colorful. It can be deep colors, deep blues, deep reds, jaded greens. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, black, but like a deeper sea of emotion. Yeah. Are there, are there challenges designing in, in sometimes the, the heavy way that you do? Mm. Um, oh, yeah. Finding, you know, a seasonal portfolio in that Mm. do you struggle with spring summer or those types of fabrications because you know leather can be hard to integrate into that type of wardrobe it is I specialize in leather um but I do create um I've just recently started to kind of open up and do uh ready to wear or dresses um wearable pieces but I think and in the beginning, it was a struggle because um, my immediate go-to was very avant-garde, mm-hmm. and it was very heavy. And not a lot of people they go, "Where do you, where do you wear that to?" And it's like, go to fucking Target in it. I don't care, you know. Like <laughs> you it's just that, like that's on put you. it, put it on, <laughs> and like feel. My idea was um, to inspire. I was tired of seeing women. Not tired of it. I related to seeing women walk around and feel empty mm-hmm. and not feel anything. Um, and so if I could just, I don't know, make you feel happy or extremely sad or pull you or 
really bother you in some sort of way, just wake you, wake you up emotionally so you could feel alive. And alive doesn't just mean happy. Mm-hmm. Alive means many things. But if I could just pull on those strings a little bit for women, I felt like I was winning. So that didn't always mean wearable pieces for me. Um, I do make them now, but I think that that was my goal. And at the same time, it was very selfish because I was trying to make myself feel alive. And I did that through creating. Um, now I do, I used to struggle trying to design in spring. Yeah. To, that was a long way of answering your question. Yes. No, 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 no. But I, I find that <laughs> yes. many designers, you know, there's this tension between mm-hmm. yeah. being a commercial designer yeah, yeah. and being an artist. Yeah, and, and I like to call myself an artist, right. you know? And so. an artist doesn't put anything forth necessarily for an audience, a no. true artist. Mm-hmm. I mean, people have different definitions, but that happens to be mine. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that struggle is not uncommon, mm-hmm. and um, it's a process of evolution to get to a, 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 a median between that the balance. Two. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. you, do you, you started swim recently. Mm-hmm. Um, how is that going? And that strikes me as, as potentially a challenge, you know, with, with mm-hmm. a, with a goth aesthetic, let's say. Yeah. And swim. So how is that going? Yeah. Spring and swim. Um, at first they were very challenging cause it's like, how am I going to put leather into this line? And it's like, well, you don't have to just do leather. You know, mm-hmm. you have this aesthetic and you have this, um, mission um and your goal is to make women feel your goal is to make women feel not just feel confident not just feel happy but to feel you know like sometimes we often are too much or it's too heavy or you feel too you know if you're a a woman who feels all the emotions you're considered i don't know a basket case or who knows like, there's so many names I don't even like bring them into my vocabulary right. but yeah. Wise. yeah yeah like I don't even pay any mind to it it's not a label I even like to whatever um once I let go of that what swim and what dark and what all these labels like what they should look like the doors opened up because mm-hmm. swim in my language um, the darker, more romantic version, they come in dark florals mm-hmm. and they come in, you know, very romantic uh, silhouettes, different cuts, still very flattering. Um, but they're they're just they they're not like, you know, very bright in your face. Right. They're very subtle. They have the details. There's heavy hardware, but just enough to where it's not weighing you down. You know, it's still right. swim. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> excuse me. This is not functioning. I need help swimming. Um it's just, I think that sure, we wear clothes, they're functional. Um, and people say, oh, it's so vain to care about what you look like. But I don't think that that's necessarily true. And vain is often looked at in a negative tone. Mm-hmm. I think that the way I present myself is how I want to be addressed and approached. Mm-hmm. And that is that is me telling you this is how you're going to address me and letting you know that I will take nothing else but that. Um, so it's my introduction before you even know me. Um, you see me and whether people like that or not, 
I am seen. And so, and that is what I want. And I'm okay with that. And I think that that's great to say as a woman, you know, like as, as a man as well, as a man as well, for sure. The Mm -hmm. sort of, um, impact of your personal presentation and what it says about you. It's not something that everybody feels, meaning some people are not, they just want to get dressed. They just, they, they, they don't feel that clothes communicate anything about them. The problem, hmm. well, I'm not gonna say the problem, but at least to me, it inherently says something about them because they've made a choice to put on what they're putting on unless they're incarcerated, right? Yeah, so that's right. You know, you are saying something, mm-hmm. whether it's I don't give a shit and I look like shit and I don't give a shit. Yeah. Or I look intimidating. Mm-hmm. And I do give a shit or Mm -hmm. I look approachable or I look in my case, a lot of what I try to communicate despite wearing a bow tie today and a seersucker suit, it's blazing hot Mm -hmm. outside is I'm capable and elegant as a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a professional. Yeah. And, and you are, but that also can be announced before one even has the opportunity to regale you with my understanding of the 34 act or, Mm you know, some piece of uh, legislation that was recently passed or even the negotiating posture I want to take on a certain deal. Yes. People form a first opinion within Mm -hmm. 30 seconds of seeing you. Thank you. Whether people like that or not, that is exactly what I mean. And I'm going to give you what I expect in return in a, in a way that you don't even have to, we don't even have to speak on. Um, and I think that that's great. Like it's a different language without even having to have a language, you know, you just already know. And that's the woman that you are designing for. Yes. And, uh, so are you your own muse? I am. Um, I am and I am and I'm not, um, I love what I create and I often wear, I'm wearing it today. (laughs) Leather belt white cotton <laughs> I, I was gonna I mean it's 98 degrees outside there's actually that amazing that website called goths in hot weather have you ever seen it I haven't it's, I haven't it's a good one you should check it out I'm gonna it's have to sort look of at it by the people who brought you look at my fucking red trousers oh nice yeah um, okay it's just random captures of mm-hmm. goths dressed in black with white makeup on in really hot weather looking extremely uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think (laughs) having navigated spring summer, you've been able to, to avoid some of that with your designs. I I have. I've eased up a little. Mm -hmm. Are there any brands or designers that you think are similar to you or with respect to certain seasons have had similar moments as you? Um, no, only some that I aspire to. I don't think that um, that I'm like many. I still consider myself sure I've been doing this for, you know, when I got out of college after Project Runway. Literally, um, I think it's only been five years. And I say only, but I think professionally three. Um God, it's been a long journey. That just like ran my. <laughs> it's like short and, and long time. Um, 
Well, it's like dog years, right? When it's intense, <laughs> you're stuffing so much experience into any given 365 days. Yeah. That you really do, back to your leather analogy, mm-hmm. I mean, you come out as a nicely worn and, and greatly textured mm-hmm. biker jacket. At, Lots at the of end mistakes of three years. in that. Well, so Project Runway, and that's where many of our listeners may recognize you from. How did that come about, and how did it. <laughs> catapult your brand if you feel that it did yeah actually i loved project runway um i don't think i'm like most contestants um sharing the animosity for it uh even when i did get kicked off midway through all stars i still have a great appreciation um for that journey they actually approached me and asked me if i wanted to try out for project runway and this is this is i think you know just four months right out of college i think i was creating my first collection for London Fashion Week. Um, how I jumped that pond, I'm not quite sure. But I just remember thinking, no, I'm not going to go on Project Runway. I'm not going to do it. And um, my daughter, she's little at the time. I think she was only eight or nine. She looks up at me and she gets in my face, which, by the way, this is not her demeanor. She does not have that kind of demeanor. And she tells me, if you don't do that, I'm going to be so disappointed in you. Wow. I know. Those were fighting words. Well, and that's powerful that from was your very, child. Yeah. yeah. It was um, a life decision, and I just immediately was like, well, mom's going to go. So, um, again, it changed me. It, I was uh, on there, and, you know, you're trying to do – it was um, a pure creative journey for me at the time, right out of college, still new in my skill. Um, you know, something – when you get on Project Runway, America thinks that you're just like – they stamp you as this, like, seasoned, like, validated uh, designer. I don't know about the actual fashion world, but the rest of America definitely goes, you are a validated designer. And, you know, well, that's a lot. Well, I think the rest of the fashion world has the exact opposite reaction. They do. Yeah. I know. And I'm like, God, you, if you guys only knew. <laughs> no. Um so it was a, a very odd uh, balance scale to kind of try and even out because um, I just looked at it as an opportunity, on, to be honest. Yeah. I knew that every minute that I was on television was advertising for my brand. I knew everything that came out of my mouth was my brand because I, going back to what you said, I am my own muse. Like my emotions, my feelings, my experiences, those are, that's my brand. Mm-hmm. It's that depth. It's the emotional aspect of things. So every single thing, I looked at it as an opportunity, a chance to grow my business. And that's what I was doing while yeah. I was there. And you were in control of what you said and what you designed on those uh, on the show. Um, yeah. You know, I guess the, the, the difficulty is you're not in control of how they edit it. right oh the edit I can't wait to hear this no I'm kidding (laughs) um but no true you have but see I came into it going well if I sit there and call someone crazy or uh, say something extremely rude no matter if it was about her or him or her I still said it right you know, they can edit that over another scene about someone, but you still said that about someone. If you're sitting there going, I'm having the hardest time and you're like constantly mentally breaking down, then that's what you do and be proud of it. I knew who I was going into that. I knew that I was stern and that I could articulate certain things. I knew I, I was comfortable in that and I'm proud of the fact that I have things to say and I'm okay with saying them. Um, so it didn't bother me. I think it bothered a lot of people maybe weren't confident within where they were at the time and that's okay you know they're on that they're in that 
place in their life, but I was just, I was raised a little different. You were a little more seasoned than the rest of I the think, contestants? I think. The, the designers. Yeah, like, I think that the one person that I did admire um, on Project Runway was Swapnil. Okay. Uh, they didn't paint him in the fashion that I think he deserved because uh, he's a true artist. And mm-hmm. I think that he has like a really beautiful soul and his work is very beautiful. And he's not a U.S. designer. He's in India. But mm-hmm. so maybe that's where the edit was wrong. Well, let me ask you this. And, you know, producers of reality TV perk your ears up. I mean, what do you think the right format for a show like that featuring designers is? Is mm-hmm. it is it profiles on established designers does the format of project runway and its competitive nature resonate Mm -hmm. with you what 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 would be the proper format for a show that you think would be the iconic fashion designer show um i love seeing true creativity and I wish that that was more appreciated on that show. The like the true like in depth creativity. I think Christian Siriano, that was like just a no brainer. Mm-hmm. Everyone saw it. He had it. America couldn't ignore it. Um, and I think often sometimes the show is sometimes pivoted to possibly um, pick up other things other than oh, just creativity sure. the drama, you know the drama, the drama and the acrimony need, yeah makes for good television according to people who know tv i guess yeah you and know. that's that's yeah. fine um but i think that people actually true sure whatever they might like the drama but i do well think, there can be there can be a bulk of those shows but the yeah. show the fictional show that, that that we're talking about is defies that and maybe would be the new you know so so would it really be more of just a profile of and an in-depth real profile of designers doing design or I like the competitive aspect of it. Okay. I do. I like that. Um, and everyone always says, like, who are you to judge art? And is that art? And, you know, that whole conversation. You could just right. go on and on. We could go on and on for days. We're not going to do that. But um, I like the competitive aspect of it because it carries things along. Mm-hmm. But, and it drives, like, the true creativity out of you. Um I just wish it focused more on like the value of the creativity and not the drama yeah. um, because people do really love to see the behind the scenes. And I think that's why so many brands are doing that now. They're letting everyone see what goes on in the atelier, how it's made, how it's created, why videos are so popular, why people want to know what goes on. They want to see it like they're attracted to that. They want to know. They want to learn. Um, they want to be a part of it because they're the ones who are buying it. Yeah. Um, so they want to be a part of it or influenced by it or enamored of it. You know, there's a lot of consumers, consumers, probably not the right word, just a lot of admirers of brands that those admirers will never be able to afford. Maybe they Mm -hmm. end up buying a scarf or a tie or a belt from that brand. Mm -hmm. Um, that's often what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know those are the high, you, I mean, I think Gucci sells more belts than yep. any other product. And, yeah. you know, Hermes sells more. Isn't that uh, why it's always in the front of their store? Yeah. The accessories, when you walk in, you'll notice that that's in the front of the retail shop, all the accessories, because the margin is the most high. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you're still early stages and I think very much staying on focus with women's wear and your I perspective am. on women's wear. If we flashed forward to mm. five successful years of the brand, what other product categories would you be interested in designing for? And I stare at your hat as I always stare at your hats because <laughs> you are a big wearer of the chapeaus. So I am. Would you would you add accessories like hats at, at a certain juncture when you had things? You know? Yeah, I think that I see down the line very re- very refined. Um, you know, women's wear the leather side, and also for men. Just just leather jackets. Mm-hmm. Um, dresses, because you'll never catch me in a pair of pants. Okay. And I think that there are women out there like that. You know, we all love dresses. Um, <laughs> and I think hats, because that's turning into who I am. And it that, that's becoming part of my journey and my expression. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a very Italian, Sicilian, Lithuanian individual. And I think that I fly my colors by my (laughs) style. Um, I think hats and, you know, very refined, studded, leather, beautiful shoes. Okay. You know, but I really, truly believe in getting something out there that you care about, that people will care about, that's not going to fall apart, that you're not going to throw away, and it's just going to sit in the ground forever. Mm-hmm. Um, pieces that you can hand down and that get more beautiful with time. Even sometimes silk and, like, cottons, they, mm-hmm. they just change, you know? they. Um, well, let's talk about that because we're at a, a critical moment for the planet, many would say. Yeah. Many brands, some of the larger ones, mm-hmm have really now espoused without any true certification or, or you know, industry-wide yeah. group that, that, that has the proper stamp of approval, mm-hmm. but on being sustainable as a brand. Yeah. And that can be whitewashing for a lot of things. Uh, yeah. Sustainability moves into labor practices. It moves into environmental impact. Um I'm glad you just covered that because I often wonder what does that brand really think that that means sustainability? Like, you know, yeah. like, are you just changing one thing or can you outline what exactly? And it could mean many things. I'm right. glad you kind of covered that. Right. Well, you know, that's, that's, that's one layer of that of massive onion, but, um, on leather specifically. Mm-hmm. So you will have certain brands that won't use leather, yeah. um, from the perspective of, animal rights. That's right. Which isn't really to my mind a sustainable practice as much as just a just a ethical practice what they what they view their ethics to be. Mm-hmm. Um, which can be very huge. Everyone's yeah. belief is their belief. Well, where where do you fall on that because you obviously make a wide use of leather? I do. Uh, do you use any other uh, furs or snakeskin or any other animals? I guess all from a vegan perspective, not that I'm a vegan, but Yeah. Um, I did in the beginning, but as I went down that sustainable road, but not because it became a thing, because we're still talking five, six, seven, eight years ago. And Mm -hmm. I don't think that sustainability was a word that was so used as much as it is now. It's Mm -hmm. like Starbucks sustainability, you know, like that's like a a word that is just always thrown in there and everyone wants to jump in on it. Swing an upcycled denim jacket over your head without hitting a sustainable brand or poster or something, you know, or like we are and 
so I don't like to get like shoved into something. I truly would like to honestly approach the situation in the way that I can honestly say I either am or am not. And so I had to start questioning those things. What does mm -hmm. ethical mean for me and my brand? Is it important? It was. What does sustainability mean for me and my brand? Is it important? It started to be, but in the beginning it was not. Um, and at the time I started thinking about, well, where does this leather come from? And like, is, you know, it's a byproduct of the, the food industry. And so I don't eat meat, which is very odd. I know because I use leather, but, um, as long as individuals, you know, there's still steakhouses that meat is being used. And, um, there's so many products that use the whole animal. Mm -hmm. Why? that skin's not being thrown away. So I utilize the skin okay. and that skin is created into a jacket and that jacket, um, can be passed down for years and years and years. It's not a faux leather where if you throw it away or if you wear it for a year, it falls apart on you. You mm -hmm. can't repair those for the most part. You can upcycle them, which I've seen people do, but it's, a, it's not something that stays in your family or if you throw it into the ground, it's not going to, it's that's not biodegradable that that vegan leather jacket yeah. and well and i think the the another salient point that you made is just that it's not something one would choose to wear past a season or two both no. from the perspective of of how long it lasts but mm -hmm. also let's face it when something is made and we're not talking like a Stella McCartney fungal leather substitute mm -hmm. on no. on something beautiful we're talking about a Cutting the Corners mm -hmm. mass brand that is doing something that they perceive as trendy. Yeah. In a I've leather owned substitute. I, I mean. I've owned I've owned a Zara <laughs> faux leather um, coat and it scratches and tears and shreds. The paint comes off after a year. Right. I'm not going to use that or give it to my daughter. I threw it away as many people throw things away yeah. or because they don't and they'll go buy another one. So is that sustainable? No, but my leather jackets I will keep and I would not dare toss that. It's just, you keep them and you don't toss those. I think it's that's a, sustainable. Yeah. And if a secondary market develops around gently oh. used items mm -hmm. or in the case of leather, even not so gently used, mm -hmm. uh, denim, leather, there are these fabrics that, that, age nicely over time yeah uh there are other fabrics which just because of their beauty and provenance and high expense level mm -hmm. make sense to have repaired that's right and if there is a market i mean there is today a market but it's not huge mm -hmm. but you hear more and more about the gen z customer yep. some of the younger millennials mm -hmm. very much having a rental mentality or a temporary ownership mentality mm -hmm. over most things in their lives clothes included yeah um and that would seem to be a viable i've heard that about 60 percent of what most consumers buy apparel wise winds up thrown away whether that Everyone gets upcycled ultimately or mm -hmm. but most of it lands in the planet Honestly, I hear so many people say, I mean, everyone will tell you, oh, I donated it. But honestly, I think that it does get thrown away. And these leather jackets that people are purchasing are not going to get thrown away. Um, mm -hmm. They cost a lot. Uh, it's a it's a high purchase. They last a very long time. And just like we've said over and over again, 
they get more beautiful with time. Um, and so to me, that is my version of sustainability. Along with other things we use, like, you know, biodegradable bags, bags from Talon uh, International, um, things, things like that. You know, our hang tags have seeds in them. You plant them. It grows a beautiful rose bush. Nice. You know, like our own little touches, we won't ship in plastic. I mean, that had to come along the way. But can I ever say that I'm 100% sustainable? No. And it's just not something that I've reached. I don't know however many companies. Well, it's up to the industry as a whole. Groups mm -hmm. like the CFDA, groups like yeah. you know other international groups. Uh, I know Stella McCartney herself, now I'm talking to the individual you know, yeah. representing the brand, mm -hmm. has spoken at the UN on this at length mm -hmm. um, and even I partnered up with Google to uh, capture information so that we can develop actual certification and the transparency so that we can see mm -hmm. where we're getting things made. And mm -hmm. I say we now, the collective fashion industry, not yep. being a designer, but most people know that, yeah. that brands don't own their own factories, no. don't even own any of the means of production for, <laughs> for most of their garments. And so therefore it's all outsourced. Mm -hmm. And how far does the obligation of diligence of where you're getting things made go? Um, you as a small brand can't necessarily travel to a factory that is perhaps sewing together 15 items if it's mm -hmm. a fairly bespoke item mm -hmm. to make sure that things are being done the way that you have been told they're being done and, and moreover want them to be done. So that's a challenge and, and the solution is disclosure and the, the solution is group action, I mm -hmm. think. Um, but that will take time. And being, um, I think that the fact that just people are interested in just trying, and just like I said, in those three ways for myself, just approaching, even if it's one thing, yeah. you know, and like if people, um, I recognize that, you know, that's trying, that's in other brands as well, like, and just be honest in that, in that sense. And then your consumer can consciously make a decision. Do they want to support you or not? Yeah. Um, so I think that consumers are, um, more demanding in that way. And they need, you know, of brands and companies to be more honest because at the end of the day, we're all people and, um, people want to know. Yeah. <laughs> so it's well, a tough topic. It's a tough topic. Um, Let's switch to another topic. Yeah. <laughs> so you named your brand after yourself. I did. Was that, and I know you had named it and uh, you were showing at London Fashion Week mm -hmm. uh, before Project Runway. Yep. But certainly the Project Runway experience underscored your Anything. personal association with the brand. Um, has that been a challenge in any regard, whether in connection with potential financing of the brand, recognizing that in giving up a stake of your company, mm -hmm. you will inherently give up some ownership over your name for purposes of, of use in commerce, or I don't think you've entered into any licenses, but if you ever like contemplate them, and for instance, outsource hats <laughs> under your brand name, that whoever that milliner is yeah. would be sewing your name into what they're producing. Does mm -hmm. that give you any pause or is that like? No, there's no pause. <laughs> there's no pause. There's no pause. Um, because I've built 
and consistently stayed true. Even when I try, when I do try to stray off of my brand identity, mm -hmm. which is my namesake, which is me, I can't. And so as long as I'm here, which I hope is for a very long time, um, I don't think that that'll be a problem. I mean, there's quality control and everything, but I think my aesthetic and the emotional factor of the brand stamp is there and it's so strong that the only people who would gravitate towards me to license out or um, so on and so forth would would be a, a like a sister to what I'm already doing. You know, like I'm not going to attract... Um, that's another company that's like the opposite of me. Many of them. Um, <laughs> um, it's just very dark and, and deep and there's an emotional romanticism to it. Mm -hmm. So I know that... Lily Pulitzer. Yeah, that's... Is she not the flip side of your coin? I think I so. Know. I'm just... Definitely. No, you know, I was trying to think of someone anodyne that, that also my firm didn't represent, so... <laughs> That's who I came up with, but oh my God, yeah, there great. certainly is a counterpoint to 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 your distinct point. Mm -hmm. and, um, I did worry about naming, having it be a namesake. Well, so how did you arrive at it? Was it was it that artist in you that was like, what else would I name it? This is authentic to name it after myself. Yeah, that simple, which I is mean, fine. I mean, that's that's the most common answer. Yeah, I hear. Yeah, anything else would be a lie, and any other name wouldn't be it. Um, it's like calling a horse a pig. I don't know. <laughs> Is that well, so do you when you when you when you see Everlane or Rag and Bone or when you see a brand that uh -huh. has no no name and no face, no eponymous name? Mm -hmm. Does that ring hollow to you, or in a way? But because I have such an attachment to the emotional um, value to things as what I'm wearing, what I'm purchasing, what I put on, what they represent, um, I think that people can connect to me, to my brand, me as in my brand more. Um, because of it, there's a face. People can relate to it or they can know that they don't relate to it. Um, there's a very clear name aesthetic personality, which is what... I learned very on that you do as a brand, you put a personality to it. Well, it is my personality. So I thought with my resources and my backing, which was none, what am I going to do? I'm going to put my full emotional characteristics value into it. And that is my brand identity, which is me. And so I worked with what I had from the very beginning, which was me. I was my only asset that I had. And that was plenty at the time. Yeah. So it was a no brainer for me. Yeah. That's good. Um, we have covered this ground a little bit, but mm -hmm. uh, but I'll I'll give you yet another at bat out at mm -hmm. it. Um, you've described some of your creations as armor. Um, yeah. You're obviously acutely aware of some of the struggles that women face um, mm -hmm. with respect to body image, as well as just perhaps in the workplace, what's mm -hmm. appropriate to wear, what's not appropriate to wear. I don't believe in that. Yeah. Well, so what, you know, let, let's flash to you, you've, you've walked around HBA. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have a perception as to what's appropriate for a female lawyer to wear or not wear? Or are you? No, I actually hate that. And there yeah. was something in saying that, that kind of 
angered me just a bit, just a bit. There's fire in me, you know, and it like you just kind of woke it up. I don't think that because and I don't have a dress code here. Oh, okay, that's good. I'm like, Doug, do I have to get? No, I'm kidding. Um, getting up. I just think industry wide, it's something Mm -hmm. that that men and women struggle with as as service professionals. I definitely think it's a struggle, and I think for women, Mm -hmm. it's it's perhaps more of a struggle because they they have even more challenges in traditionally white collar and male dominated industries for sure um their choices are questioned beyond just that doesn't make you look professional to that makes you look available that enhances your body in ways that are not workplace appropriate i mean good (laughs) great let's do that then i mean that's really where my brain goes and i think of my mom all the time because um I just, I think, and, or no, I don't think, I feel, which that runs my then thought process, Mm -hmm. that my assets physically uh, do not define my characteristics on the inside and how I wish to celebrate um, how you approach me, like I was saying earlier, um, if my cleavage is low or have tight clothes on, I'm very proud of my body. I've had two children. I've worked very hard for for where I'm at um, in my confidence level, um, my value as a woman. And that's on the outside and very much on the inside. And so I've reached that place where my value isn't um, my cleavage or, you know, like the waist size or, you know, what you visually can and can't see. It's it's more within. It's just I'm very comfortable with my outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and I th- I've never allowed, which I can't say that for everyone, um, because, you know, people are raised differently. I think that women are pushed into this box that we're supposed to be in, um, and we're expected to be well, not to be sexual, um, which we all are in whichever way we prefer. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe some aren't, but whether you are or you aren't, whether you like to be covered or uncovered, um, I don't think that that really has much to do with your work ethic. Mm-hmm. And that is just what makes me feel good. So if I want to be partially naked or fully clothed, that's what makes me feel good. And that is um, my preference. And um, I think it's, I don't know, it angers me when we uh, have to like bind ourselves. So mm-hmm. I don't even think this way that I need to dress a certain way so you don't um, approach me in a certain manner. I don't think it. So that way, I don't represent that, and I don't think I've ever um, been approached that way, and I I don't think that that's my responsibility. My responsibility is my actions, um, and I think that says the same for anybody else. So if I have (laughs) clothes on, no clothes on, whatever it is, I mean, you know, we're always partially clothed um, in the workplace, I think, but... If someone addresses me in a certain way, it's I don't believe it's because of what I'm wearing um, as far as my 
cleavage is low. I don't know. That's a tough one. Yeah. Well, and it's a tough, it's a tough needle to thread, I think, for women. I mean, so the book, The Laws of Style, speaks only to menswear. Mm-hmm. And men have obviously had it far easier. You put a suit on as a lawyer and you look like a lawyer in most cases. It yeah. should fit nicely. It mm-hmm. should be made of the right seasonal materials. But we're not struggling with are you showing too much of some part of your body? I mean, you're completely clothed. And it's basically granimals for mm-hmm. adults. Yeah. You know, you're 80% of your sartorial representation is one color or pattern. Mm-hmm. Um I think it means something different for certain people too. You know, like sexual is different from um, careless or uh, confident in one's body is different from, you know, not. So everyone has their own definitions and they, they wear it in different ways um, and for different reasons. Um, so it's just, uh, it's, that's a, it's a tough one. It's a tough one because really, as, as we started with personal presentation, mm-hmm. that can be as varied as people's personalities, right? Yeah. And the way you're dressed and how you feel and like how you're representing yourself, that is your message. But I think that the next step in humanity is speaking to one another. Right. So what does that mean for that person? Does that cleavage mean I stand strong in my body and my sexuality and my personality? I own it. Um, does it mean the opposite? So it's a very personal message. I think yeah. we all have that. Um, well, you today, one of the hottest days of the year. Yeah. Um, you, you still won't be exempted from what you're wearing today for really not so much our viewers, uh-huh. uh, but those that aren't viewing and are just downloading. Yeah. Um, so can you describe what you're wearing, who designed it? I have certain guests that you know <laughs> you, you might have a lot of uh, labels sewn into those clothes. Um, and, you know, and, and why? And, and why you chose this ensemble for today. Mm-hmm. I know you had multiple activities today. Yeah. And again, 98 degrees outside. So a real challenge for anybody so coming hot. in in the afternoon to, to record a podcast. Well, my eyebrows are melting off my face. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, t- head to toe, I have a beautiful, asymmetrical, somewhat black felt fedora, Eugenia Kim hat. Okay. I love this hat just because it is good for sun protection, good for sun protection. Mm-hmm. It is hot. It's like a little mini blanket, but it's also sun protection. You know, right. it's a 50 50. It's just, um, I like it because it has a certain difference to it. There's an air to it. You know, how you say that, um, you have a bow tie and you wear a suit because there's a certain elegance to you. I have tattoos all over my body, specifically the left side, but I like the hard and soft, so that elegance with a little bit of the rough, Mm -hmm. which I think is very much my brand. Mm -hmm. Um, Only silver jewelry, hoops in every single ear that dangle. So so if you receive mm -hmm. as a gift a piece of jewelry that has gold or brass or some, or even, like, are you that about it? Which, Yeah. yeah. I don't wear gold. Don't worry, it's just... No, it just doesn't go with... Um, I've had a little sun today, but I'm very, I'm fairly 
fair complected right. um and i've got black hair and i wear red lips and like that does not change and so the silver kind of is a subtle contrast but not right. too much i think that the gold just kind of clashes with the, all of those yeah for those that are you know sort of iphone users you're pretty much always on like the tokyo filter but with red <laughs> lipstick yeah yeah exactly that's that is me. That there is you. you go. That is what I'm right. wearing today. The Tokyo filter <laughs> with red lipstick. That was great. <laughs> well, I too, I, men and women dress differently, but our hardware, so to speak, mm-hmm. is is a challenge. I wear less than you, uh, but I do I do wear a watch every day. Mm-hmm. I do treat my belt buckle hardware as sort of part of that, and I find it to be a challenge if I'm... Mm-hmm wearing a silver watch and the belt that happens to go with my shoes which is another conundrum because the leather should Mm. match the shoes right that's right happens to be brass or gold not you know but the gold color it clashes and especially because it hits in the same line exactly vision you know they kind of it's a it's a clash i also just don't buy anything other than silver and i like um fixes fixes that problem yes it does a little bit gifts (laughs) Yeah, um, I work so much that I haven't piled on the gifts. It's just like, you know, it's a constant, um, I'm always working. So So who, from the hat down, who makes the various accessories? I mean, is it too many to, you, you've got a lot of jewelry going I on do. here. I so do. Too many. Is there one in particular that resonates with you as far as a designer? Um, I've purchased this necklace. It's a, a little beautiful locket as you Mm-hmm. call it possibly but it has a little kind of bell inside of it and it's a okay. sphere and it That's has cool. um carnelian stone at the bottom so i don't take it off i got it in bali and it's not by a designer there's an emotional attachment to it okay. as most things are with yes. me yes yes uh the dress is a white cotton um off the shoulder it has ruffles and um it's cinched at the waist with a leather Candace Cuoco belt. The dress is also Candace Cuoco. Okay. Where um, did the cotton come from? I'm curious. Because I was in Greece recently mm-hmm. and discovered the cotton there just seemed better. I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> to lighter. But more mm-hmm. for the purpose with which I would approach a cotton garment, you know, which is light and breathable. Yes, but this has more of a structure to it. Mm -hmm. So when we um, create the shape and the sleeves, they're kind of like very mini Lego mutton puff sleeves, as Mm -hmm. you would may possibly call them. It's a a heavier cotton. Um, That way it holds its structure. And um, I always belt things or cinch, cinch things at the waist. I just like the structure of it. Like it feels... Um... Girded. Yes. Which and I I'm like, I think is where the ready. word girdle comes from, but... Probably. I wouldn't... I don't know that answer, but it just... I, it sits me up straight, and it gives me that posture, and that's, you know, how I approach things. Um, and footwear, which they're you actually, don't necessarily have to bring into the shot, but... Well... They're leather pointed, um, Calvin Klein. Okay. Uh, they're, they're belted at the ankle, but it, you know, I have a really high arch, so I have to, I can't wear a flat. Okay. Um, but yeah, I have been doing some sightseeing, lots of running around <laughs> with my daughter and it's just a small little heel, but it's a block heel cause you can get around in those in New York. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's a muggy day mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> With a little bit of time that we have left, okay. Uh, 
I would love to hear your comments on directionally where you think the industry is going with respect to unisex design. Mm. Uh, there seem to be more gender fluid consumers yeah. out there in the, in the younger segment of the market than ever before. Uh, and I think certain design houses are responding to that with unisex offerings. Do you think that that is kind of latching onto a fad or do you think that that no. is a... Okay. No, I don't think that it's a fad. I think that it's, it might, it could possibly feel as one because it's a topic, but it's always been a thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, women wear men's clothes, men wear women's clothes, um, they wear this, he and she wears that. I mean, are there things you design or have designed to date where you felt strongly this is really, I'm a women's wear brand, but this could easily be worn by a man and, and even you, you happen to know men that, that have purchased and worn them? I. You don't like pants, so I'm going to assume don't you don't like make pants. pants and but. I don't necessarily think that all men need to be in pants. <laughs> right, right. They can wear, you know, I've seen, I, from the very beginning, I'm like, God, I wish I could see, you know, like the, like a beautiful um, guy and, you know, one of my, you know, very straight dresses or leather jackets that um, bleed often into both worlds, men, men's wear, women's wear. I think, I feel like it could just be worn by anybody. And I... I don't think that anybody would openly say it. I know people in the past have, but I think that other people might have a problem with that. And I've always found beauty in it because it's different. Mm -hmm. There's like an emotional story behind why they enjoy that and, and it represents them mm -hmm. and that is their message. And you see it before they can even say it. Um, and how you approach it is your own responsibility. Going back to what I'm, I'm wearing and how people approach that, uh, that's other people putting value on it but they have value and emotion into that so yeah. um yes i say women's wear because if i'm pitching my leather jacket line to barney's or neiman's or nordstrom or something like that you know like there's still that box that they define it by and people need to go i'm gonna go buy a jacket up in the women's department but do only women or men can they only wear it? no i love when my clothes are ripped inside out, pulled upside down, worn by he, she, them. I think it's beautiful because mm -hmm. it tells a different story. And that's yeah. what I'm really after. And it's nice that we're at a time where that is okay. a more open conversation, mm -hmm. certainly. When I was going to law school back in the 90s, really one of my study partners was mm -hmm. a guy who went on to write The Man in the Gray Flannel Skirt. He, oh, nice. He, he was fluid yeah. and dressed that way as an undergrad in Columbia, but mm -hmm. then kind of tried to reverse course to, you know, his, his style chagrin in, yeah. in law school, but you know, hard environment to wear a skirt in as a, as a, as a man who wasn't identifying other than heterosexual at the time. Um, that's hard because you're asking people to open up to something that they don't understand and they're, and in turn, you're volunteering yourself to be the one to explain and help them understand that. And yeah. then with not understanding comes anger and frustration and they get scared or whatnot. And so I'm aware of that when I am a certain way or dress a certain way. And like, 
I have a an approach in that way, you know, like let me help you understand or see and hopefully they're open-minded enough to possibly take something away with it that they could learn from. Yeah. Not everyone does and that's okay, but um, it's a courageous thing to lead one's own um, and not be like anyone else. And so I admire this man that you speak of. <laughs> well, we have to break. Yeah. So that's a wrap. Candace, thank you so much for coming in. Yeah, thanks for uh, listening to me um, go on and on about Oh, no, emotions. please, please. I'm sure our <laughs> listeners uh, are wrapped attention. Uh, any social media handles that our listeners should be following or events coming up in, in your orbit that you want to promote? Yeah, I'm actually releasing my first uh, solely leather jacket line and pulling out archive pieces that oh, wow. we're going to start um, offering to our customers and going back to you know having my name be my brand name it's all on every single possible thing candace cuoco and it's um c-u-o-c-o it means cook in italian means coke cook cook i was gonna say coke that would be interesting (laughs) (laughs) i don't do either (laughs) right well um the brand is certainly cooking Mm -hmm. and um we are certainly (laughs) going to be cooking yeah Excuse the pun, but uh, hottest day of the year, undoubtedly. Uh, Have a safe trip back. And um, thanks for coming on. I'm excited. Thanks, Doug. Bye now. Bye. You've been listening to The Laws of Style with Douglas Hand. For more information, go to our website at www.hballp.com. And you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at, at Hand of the Law. Thank you for tuning in and stay stylish.